you are a true friend who has fought for us on Calvary, on that cross, to bear the wrath of God that we so deserve. But you died on our behalf. As such, we now can be called friends of Jesus. So Lord, as we opened uh, your word, may that word open our hearts, read our hearts, and change our heart. We ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, while we remain standing, let us read the word of God that becomes the basis of today's sermon. It's taken from John 15, verse 12 through to 17. Here is the word of God. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Please be seated. The word of the Lord. A few years ago, there was a survey done in the UK asking around uh, 400 odd people why they go to a particular church. 90% of the respondents said that friendliness, friendliness was a major factor when deciding where to attend church. And out of that 90% who responded with that answer, they specifically mentioned that ushers, greeters, the welcoming team played a key role. Do you know the story of uh, why Mohandas Gandhi? You know that, that uh, Indian man who became a hero in India did not become a Christian because he, there was a story told that he carried the uh, Sermon on the Mount that Jesus uh, teaching, he carried that in a little piece of paper everywhere. So he was so mesmerized by Jesus and what he taught. But the story went like this. He did not become a Christian because when one day he went to church in London and then in front of that church, he was denied entry by the ushers. And the ushers said, sorry, you cannot enter this house of God because you are a person of color. Because you are a person of color, you cannot enter the house of God. And Gandhi wrote in one of his uh, writings that, I love Jesus, I don't particularly like his followers because his followers do not reflect his Lord. So that's the story why Gandhi did not become 
a Christian. Now, to the extent that it's verifiable and true, and I think it is, I just want to emphasize the importance of being a friend to someone, and that starts from when they actually step their uh, step foot into uh, the door of the church, right? So the basis of all that, obviously, is the Bible, is Jesus himself, is the gospel, and that's, that's what I want to uh, share with you today. I don't know how you define a friend, and if you have one in your life, but here is, uh, uh, well, a couple definitions. A friend is one who multiplies joys, defies griefs, and whose honesty is unfilable. A friend is someone who understands our silence. Or maybe I'll give you one more. A friend is the one who comes in when the whole world, when the whole world has gone out. And that's the kind of friend that we have in Jesus. So we're going to look at, uh, under three subheadings, um, three, uh, three things about a friend of Jesus, three characteristics about being a friend of Jesus. The first one is a friend of Jesus does what he commands. And we get, got that from first uh, um, 12 and 14. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. See, if you, if you read first uh, 12 to 17 with me and, and you actually paid attention to what I just uh, read, this particular section is a bit confusing because there's, uh, I think at least there are three components here. There's love, there's obedience, and there's friendship, right? So I've been tearing my hair out in the past week, trying to understand what's the connection between love and obedience and friendship. Does it mean that if you have a friend, you know, that means you have to obey him or her, whatever he or she says, then that becomes um, you know, your wish is my command kind of situation. So how, how, how do we um, understand this accurately? When Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another. And then he said, I no longer call you slaves or servants, but friends. So let me, let me start with that. When Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another, he actually has declared numerous times prior to that in chapter 14, verse 15, verse 21, 23, and 24, that loving Jesus is demonstrated by keeping his commandments. So if you love Jesus, you would obey him. So, you know, the disciples, having been with Jesus for three odd um, years, they might um, have expected, because this is kind of a departure speech, right, a farewell discourse, they might have expected that Jesus would give them instructions, right? Detailed instructions as to what they would do when they are sent out into the world without their master, their Lord. But there is no such instruction. The only instruction that Jesus gave is love one another. As if he is saying that love will be the sufficient guide for you to be going into the world. As long as you love one another, 
right? With the kind of love of his, not, not the sentimental love, not the love that you find in popular songs, but the kind of love that Jesus showed. You'll be fine. That's basically what Jesus said. Sometimes we think that we are being sent out by God to compete with one another or to dispute with one another, to quarrel with one another, to prove yourself that you are, uh, prove to others that you are better than them, right? But that's not the case. Jesus said, if you go out to the world, all you need to do is to love one another. And then he said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. See, this is, I guess, the first characteristic, right? The obedience is not what makes them friends of Jesus, it's what characterizes uh, them as friends of Jesus. So love is the proper source of our obedience. That's why um, this is love-filled, love-motivated obedience. See, a lot of uh, people think if you love Jesus, then you have to quit your job and then you become uh, a monk, a monk-like uh, you know, lifestyle that you have to adopt and you leave everything behind and just follow him uh, 24-7, seven days a week, you don't have a job and so on and so forth. That's not the case. Jesus said, if you uh, follow me, then you basically have to obey me. If you love me, you have to obey me. So this is a non-negotiable term of becoming a friend of Jesus. In the next slide, I quoted uh, from this theologian called D.A. Carson, Don Carson, and this is what he said, no one is more miserable than the Christian who for a time hedges in his obedience or limit his obedience, restrict his obedience. He does not love sin enough to enjoy its pleasures and does not love Christ enough to release holiness. So, you know, you are kind of a, somewhere in the middle, right? So if someone actually asks you and you answer that person honestly, where do you stand in terms of your obedience to Christ? You may say, I'm somewhere in the middle, right? And that's the kind of person that Don Carson was talking about. You know, you're gonna be miserable Christian, because you're not going to enjoy your sins because you love Jesus, but you're not going to also enjoy the holy life because you still kind of uh, live in sin. So that's one of the definitions of a miserable Christian. We also learn from what Jesus said that, that you know, to uh, be his friend is to obey him. Disobey Jesus means that you're going to uh, fail to love Jesus. So disobedience really is not a failure of performance, it's not a failure of your strength, it's not a lack of faith, but if you disobey Jesus, that means you fail to love him. That's basically what he said. To say that you are really um, loving Jesus, but you do not want him to tell you how to live your life, is a terrible misunderstanding of both Jesus and your love to him. But here is the um, difficulty when you understand you know, the connection again between love and obedience and friendship. 
Because we always think the concept of friendship in, in human terms. And that, that that's, has been my difficulties over many years, you know, understanding this passage. If Jesus is my friend, and I understand that friendship in human terms, then why should I obey him, right? It's, it's almost similar to uh, years ago when my daughter was young, I uh, told her, Tiff, if you love me, you have to obey me. And the next thing she said, she was about maybe three or four years old, well, Dad, if you, obey, uh, if you love me, then you have to obey me as well. So we obey each other, right? Uh, hey, that's not <laughs> what I meant. That doesn't work like that. Right? So I have to explain the whole thing about uh, you know, being uh, her parent and so on and so forth. But here is why we do not understand this, because we are modern, contemporary uh, people living in 21st century and do not understand the context of the first uh, century of friendship. And the next slide gives you the punchline. The role of friend of Jesus is one of subordination, not equality. Like a friend of the king, right? If you can enter to some sort of a premise that is only um, fit for uh, the king of this particular area, and then you are declared you are a friend of the king, then you may enter such place. But even if you are called a friend of the king, you still have to obey the king. That's basically what it is. It can face a relationship that is distinct from our modern understanding of friends. Clearly, this is not reciprocal. So that's why we, as friends of Jesus, we cannot turn around and say that Jesus is my friend uh, if, if you do not uh, do what, what, he, what he says. Now, here is what's interesting. In, in the Old Testament, there are two individuals, and only two individuals who are called friends of God. Do you know who they are? Abraham and Moses. Abraham and Moses in 2 Chronicles 20:17 and Exodus 33:11 they're called friends of God. God is never called their friend though. They called friends of God, but God is never called their friend. So in both cases there is no contrast with a slave or servant though. Only in John 15, friend is contrasted to uh, a servant. And Jesus can refer to Lazarus as his friend in the New Testament, right? You can read that in John 11, 11, but Jesus is not called the friend of Lazarus. So Lazarus is a friend of Jesus. Jesus is not called the friend of Lazarus. You see why this is not just uh, um, a matter of uh, play of words, but there is a deeper meaning that is hidden in the cultural nuances of the day. So neither God nor Jesus is ever referred to in the scripture as the friend of anyone. And it, it doesn't mean that they're not being friendly, but that's because we are on totally different um, um, footing when it comes to friendship with God. 
it signifies what they call a patron-client relationship. And in, in, in the context of the Old Testament, it refers specifically to a former master and his former slave who are now set free, who are now released from slavery. So a slave in the um, New Testament world in the first century could purchase their own freedom, actually, right? And then um, they can say to their master, now that I'm free, I still want to follow you. I still want to dedicate the rest of my life to serve you, right? And then this uh, former slave became a good friend, you know, like Batman and Alfred, if you like, um, of, I uh, can't think of a better uh, example, but if you don't watch the movie, that, that's okay. But, you know, um, Bruce Wayne and Alfred has, has good friendship, but the relationship is also master and, and servant. So this release from, from slavery, this former slave has freedom, and the former pa- uh, master becomes a patron and could ex- expect to receive honor, and pledge, pledge uh, loyalty from, from his client, i.e. his former uh, slave. So yes, on, on the one hand, Jesus seems to violate the expectation of a teacher-disciple relations by washing their feet. Remember in John 13. On the other hand, when he said that uh, um, you are no longer called servants, so in his mind, they are his servants, they are his slaves because they are completely different um, beings, obviously. And then he said also in John 13, you called me teacher and Lord. And then he said in uh, verse 16 that slaves are not greater than their master. So Jesus is saying that I'm way different than, than you are, right? You are servants, you are disciples, I'm your teacher, I'm your master but now I call you servants. So obedience, in other words, is required if you want to be a friend of Jesus. The disciples' status as friends of Jesus is dependent on their obedience. So Jesus defines friendship with him with obedience as a condition. One commentator put it like this, it is clear that the status of a friend is not one which precludes obedient service, this is rather demanded. So a friend of Jesus does what he commands, right? The disciples have now free agency, if you like, because they are no longer slaves, but they are expected to obey. Not because they have to, not because it's the law, but because of the love that they have received and will receive in its ultimate form when Jesus went, uh, uh, goes to the cross. So they are the recipients of this greater act of love and their expected obedience is based on loyalty of that love. So that, that's the first um, point. I think it's important to understand uh, all that. The second point is that a friend of Jesus not only uh, obeys, but a friend of Jesus knows what he does. Right? A friend of Jesus knows what he does. And I got this point from verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. 
Do you know that this is the first time in John's gospel that Jesus refers to his disciples as servants? Right? First time in John's gospel. And on the other hand, this is the only place in the gospel of John where Jesus refers to the disciples as friends. Right? So it is curious that the saying makes a contrast between slaves or servants and friends. You know, I keep mentioning slaves because the word servant in our English Bible is actually a euphemism. You know what a euphemism is? You try to camouflage the meaning of the actual word so that it becomes more uh, edible, you know, more uh, manageable in our ears, modern uh, people. But the actual uh, translation from the Greek is actually slaves, right? This is the first time that Jesus called his disciples uh, slaves. But in the uh, first century, as I mentioned before, slaves can actually buy their own freedom. It's completely different from uh, the slaves in the 13th century. So when Jesus called them uh, friends, and you are no longer slaves, and, the, and then he gives the qualification, because slaves do not know what the master is doing. In other words, the distinction that Jesus emphasized here between slaves and friends is disclosure. Jesus gives them full disclosure of what he has heard from the Father, elevating them from the slave uh, status. So while they are expected to obey, that obedience comes with an understanding of the affairs of Jesus and the Father, and they're not mere extensions uh, of a master. So that is quite unique, completely different from the Greek or Jewish custom at the time. In ancient Greece, slaves were considered mainly bodies without reason, animated instruments, quote unquote. That's in, in the Greek culture. In the Jewish culture, the Mishnah, the book that they believe uh, should be the rule of their lives, in the book of Mishnah, a slave was only defined by the vertical relationship with his owner. So the master prevents the bondman or the slave from holding any relationship apart from the property relationship between his slave and himself. So that was the culture where Jesus said that I no longer call you slaves, but friends. Now Jesus in treating them as free agents, right? I have freed you from your slavery and then you can go, right? But in, in, as free agents now, you can love and obey and follow Jesus with that awareness. Why? What for? you are following and loving him and becoming his disciple. So the slave in Jesus' day was incapable of having any horizontal relationship as he was solely defined by a vertical relationship. But now Jesus changed that quite radically by saying that now you are free agents. You can love one another. You, because you're no longer slaves. You have been freed. You can love one another. You can have that horizontal relationship. And that is something actually quite radical in Jesus' day. 
So, friends, the, the, this is what is unique about the Christian faith, right? You obey Jesus because you know that he should be obeyed as the master of our life because he loves us and he loves us until the end. Which brings me to the, to the last point. Um, a friend of Jesus does not only obey and knows what's going on, why they have to obey, but a friend of Jesus centers, uh, centers their life on the gospel. That's the third um, and last point. Greater love, verse 13, has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. So Jesus basically emphasized that the, the fact that you are a friend of God, you are a friend of Jesus, that's not because your own choosing, it was Jesus who sovereignly choose you and choose me. So this is not um, something that we can opt to say yay or nay, but this is a sovereign selection that God has given us, and it's not because we are good or we are religious or we are a moral uh, person, but because he appointed that we become his friends, despite our rejections of him for many, many, many years. And if you uh, read verse 9, which we did not read uh, today, it says that as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So Jesus is saying, the Father loves me, and with that same love, I have loved you. What kind of love that the Father showed to the Son. Well, the love that has no beginning and has no end. Because they have been around from eternity past to eternity future. It's the kind of love that is close and personal. It's the kind of love that respects each other, delights in each other. It's the kind of love that never changes. Whatever the circumstances are. Now, Jesus said, that kind of love that the Father has shown me, I have showed you now that love. See, friends, we are again entering into this uh, completely foreign realm, right? The realm of Trinity. And sometimes it causes a, a, a headache if we think about um, it, uh, 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 the Trinity. You know, God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. But as the Father and um, the Son, they have been eternally friends, right? And now Jesus said, I love you with that same love between, uh, between us. Something in the Trinity is the basis of that friendship. See, before time, before there was existence, the only thing that existed was friendship. The friendship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Friendship, therefore, was actually um, never created because there was not a time when friendship was not. That explains why the absence of friendship, i.e. loneliness, is a terrible thing. 
If you are lonely, especially if you uh, come from other countries and you migrated to Australia, you don't have someone to talk to, you feel lonely. That's a terrible thing because loneliness is a cosmic problem. So if you think about why Adam, you know, the first human being ever created on, the, on, on this planet, why was Adam lonely? Adam lonely, and this is uh, um, um, Tim Keller's um, understanding of friendship, Adam was lonely, not because he was imperfect, because he was created as a perfect being and he had God at his, as his friend. But he was lonely because he was actually perfect. Adam was lonely because he was like God. And like God, he had to have someone to love, to talk to, to work with, to share things with. See, all of our problems, anger and anxiety, they arise out of our imperfections. But loneliness is the one problem, the only one problem that arises because we are perfect like God and we need someone else to talk and to share uh, our life with. So why are you lonely? Not because there is something wrong with you. You are lonely because you are created in the image of God. Because you are created like God and therefore you need someone to share that love. And then Jesus said in verse 13, greater love than no one than this is someone laid down his life from, for his friends. Love that is action-oriented. This is not a sentimental love, but love that is concrete, that is practical, demonstrated by actions. Dying on the cross. And that's the kind of friend that we have in Jesus. No other religion actually says what Jesus said in verse 13, greater love than no one has this, someone who laid down his life for his friends. Because other religions said that God is beyond joy, beyond grief, beyond any human emotions, laughter and tears. Because uh, uh, in their minds, God is so abstract, they are devoid of those emotions, they're not capable of relationship. And of course, that's not the kind of God that we want, right? What, 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 what good is it if the God that we worship does not understand us and only want us to worship him but never care for our feelings? But God actually died for us because he loved us. And that's why we have a friend in Jesus. The actual need for a friend that we have is so profound that no other human friend on this planet can deliver satisfaction. No human beings are perfect because your friends will let you down. I'm not, I, if you live long enough, I can guarantee you, you would have friends at least one that have um, let you down, betrayed you, stabbed you from the back, and so on. We need God as our friend because otherwise you will be disappointed with your, with your human friends. You cannot have true friendship without having Jesus as your true friend. 
But if you're a friend of Jesus, you have received from him all the attention and love and affirmation that you ever need, such that when you are being betrayed, when your friends on the earth let you down, you're not going to go depressed and uh, do awful things back at your friend because you have already got that love and information enough from Christ. And now you can forgive your friends and now you can actually serve them because you have been well served by Jesus as your true friend. And that's why Paul wrote in Romans 5, 8, 10, I want to finish off with that verse. For if while we were God's enemies, while we were still sinners, God's enemies, because sinners by definition are God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Friends, we were once enemies of God. We didn't care about Jesus. We say, don't want to have anything to do with you. But while we were completely ignorant of his love, he actually chose to die for us. And he appointed you and I to become his friends. So my question this morning is, do you want to be his friends if you haven't been having that friendship with, with him. And if you have been Christians for many years, do you actually treasure that friendship? Or do you keep him at a distance? Like, you know, the kind of friend that you call only once a year or you meet with, with him or her once a year? And you don't even know the problems and the struggles that your friend has. Is that the kind of relationship that you have with Jesus? Do you obey him only when it's convenient to you? But if it's going to cost you something that is so precious to you, you said, sorry, friend, I, I cannot do this. I cannot obey you in this area because it's my precious so if you've been that kind of friend to Jesus, perhaps this is now the time to change and say, Lord, uh, we are friends. I am called a friend of Jesus, but obviously I'm not your equal. The only condition of becoming a friend of, of, of Jesus, of you, is to obey you. And I want to learn to obey you, even though it means it will cost me something. Do you want to say that to God? Let, let us respond in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that once we were your enemies, but now you have made us your friends. Because Jesus has finished that bitter cup, the cup of God's wrath on the cross that we should have had as you were crushed on that cross. You made us your friends. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for pouring out the riches of your glorious grace, for showing us that undeserved mercy that knows no end to each one of us who believes. So help us to respond accordingly, to obey you no matter what, because you have shown that you love us 
until the end. In that precious and mighty name we pray. Amen. Church, now.